What's up, race fans, and welcome to another episode of the Pacino Report. This is the podcast slash vodcast that goes up the inside of the hype, just like this guy, and stuffs it up on the last corner to get over the line first, just for you, the listener slash viewer. Well, here we are, season 2021, episode 10. It's the Luca Marini episode. It's sort of half of a Valentino Rossi. He's not quite there yet, but he's still pretty good. And he rides a Ducati, so he must be good. So not too bad. We've had some racing. We are well and truly in the thick. We're up to our knees in MotoGP this year. We're in the Euro rounds. We've had the we've had the flyaway rounds already. Man, we don't care about those. We're in Europe. We are racing. It's been amazing. Last weekend, didn't disappoint. It was just as amazing as we knew it was going to be. Before I go any further, Andra, how did you like your first proper Euro round in MotoGP? Bloody brilliant. But I have to tell you, Saturday night, I went out night clubbing in Adelaide for the first time since 1998. Oh, that's right. Yes. So <laughs> they were playing the same music and well, wearing the same clothes, but I was with a group of girls. So they're all like doing the woohoo, let's dance. And I get a message from my husband going, Jorge Martins just had the most like messiest crash and I'm in the corner in, and I'm down in some bar with no like 3G and I'm trying to look it up going but what's happening and all my friends are like what are you doing get off your phone and who sent you a link yes thank you for and I messaged Stu and I'm like Stu where can I see this what's happening like yeah it was <laughs> it was pretty I was like yeah this is totally just done my life in now it was crazy, we had a good night it? I was home Indeed. after midnight didn't turn into a pumpkin you're not that old then it's all right thank you <laughs> and El Jefe Manuel, the man himself, you, you're back in Europe, you're back home. It looks like you're actually in your own house today. How's it going? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> well, uh, when I arrived, my dog, uh, how do you say, howled at me? Who are or you? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it's okay. No, after almost one month, I have been off. It's good to be back home. I had a lot of fun. I rode down to Portimao, as you know. And returning, I had a little issue because I... The border I was supposed to cross was closed. Oh, no. So I got another extra 200K. So at the end, it was 900K right oh, from Portimao. Oh, you got <laughs> to see more of the country. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wonderful, wonderful. Indeed. Well, it's so fine. It's fine. I am already ready to ride down to Jerez. I have uh, the bike, as you know. Nice. BMW uh, 1000XS. Oh, yeah. Nice. Oh, Love it. Ready to ride again. Yes. Ready to go. Here ready to go. And to talk about the uh, Grand Prix, there have been so many things no, happening there. So exactly. we have a lot of stuff. I hope everyone's got about four hours to spare. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And look, everybody, uh, we've got a very, very special guest today. So introducing none other than, other than Mr. Neil Morrison himself. How you doing, Neil? Pretty good. Thanks, Stu. Thanks again for having me on the show. Appreciate it. Hey, um, hey, I'd just no like worries. to say that Andra has made me very depressed talking about nightclubs being open. I mean, <laughs> oh, been, trust me, it wasn't that. I imagine you in the middle for, of the dance floor. Yeah, yeah. I've been dreaming of dancing for about a year and a half now, and uh, there's no sign of them opening. So, oh, yeah, you yeah, Australian know. guys are pretty lucky. Can you put on an Aussie accent? You can just travel over here and. You can pretend you're an Aussie, indeed. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, yeah but Neil, Neil you, you, should come, yeah, you should come down. Neil, you should come down to Madrid. Get out of oh, Barcelona. Yeah. Come here to Madrid. Here everything is open. This is the, the, the land of freedom here. <laughs> it is. It's always been. <laughs> I have one request, Neil. Can you please say for me, Andrew, you have great race pace. Andrew, you have great race pace. 
Yes. Right. I keep saying to my husband, every time Neil says race pace, we should do shots. Yes, <laughs> indeed, indeed. So, Neil, for those for those viewers and listeners um, who who aren't familiar with him with you, do you want to give give them a, a little bit of a background as to as to what your normal day to day endeavours include? Day to day endeavours include, um, I guess, I do a bit of commentary for Moto Two, Moto Three for the World Feeds. Yeah, and I do a bit of writing as well uh, for um, a few publications. Yeah, I do some stuff for Australian. Australian Motorcycle News and right, uh, yep. Cycle News, yeah, um, nice. Motor Matters as well. So yeah, a few bits and bobs to keep me busy. So you, you could say you have a little bit of a pedigree. Uh, I don't know about that, but uh, yeah, I would say more kind of I'm blagging it basically. Uh, but, <laughs> um, but yeah, if you want to say pedigree and make me sound professional, Stu, that's that's fine by me. <laughs> I think it's the only only time I ever will sound professional. And and whereabouts are you coming from us? Coming to us from today? Where where where's home? I'm a little bit like Manuel. Uh, I have been away for what well, feels like ever. Um, was in Qatar for three weeks and then down straight to Portimao almost. So yeah, I'm back home in Barcelona, which uh, nice. feels very nice. So. No nightclubs open. Uh, yeah, it's nice apart from the nightclubs thing. Yeah, yeah, I'll have to be a bit longer. <laughs> well, it's wonderful to have you with us, mate. And we'll uh, we'll definitely be relying on your expert comments as we go through and uh, and talk about all classes. So. Uh, Manuel, boss, let's 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 start at the top. This guy who's uh, who's right behind me here, it's it's the return of uh, Mister Ninety Three himself, the Angry Ant. Uh, you know, we had a had a bit of a joke a few weeks ago, and we thought he was coming back, and we had the Jaws music. Um, what do you what do you make of his return? Well, I have to say that I think probably the the guy who is most disappointed with his return was Mark himself. I agree. Okay. Yeah. First, I have to say that the doctors, they didn't want Mark to race in Portimao. At what? least part of the doctors. Mm -hmm. they, they thought that he was not ready. And, uh, but Mark had decided to ride in Portimao because when he rode with the street bike, remember that he did a two days test. Yes. He, with that street bike, he lapped four seconds behind the circuit record mm -hmm. so therefore he was completely uh, committed to go there even if the doctors didn't want it so at the end they decided to sign the paper okay and then they had no choice yeah the result is uh i have to say first that probably the doctors they don't understand how uh, a moto gp riders head works okay what they try to apply is the timing of a normal person mm. that obviously doesn't match with a MotoGP rider or an elite sportsman so uh, and the doctors were right in the sense that we saw that the the, the muscle and all the arm that mark uh, finished uh, the race with was really sore you know the the yeah. muscles they they, they he, it was like the doctor respected, but at the same time, we saw Marcus performing incredible well for his uh, uh, physical uh, uh, state. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's a contradiction, you know, on one side, we saw that he was not ready. On the other side, I think it's a phase Mark had to, had to go through and he has already gone through and now he starts to build it up. Exactly. This is basically, and uh, 
what I think also is that Mark went there with another meaning. He thought that he was racing for more than he, he saw he could race. We saw this in FP1 when he immediately did position three, mm-hmm. showing that the speed is here, right? We also saw this at the start of the race because Mark started to race against the other. But it took very, very just a few turns or lap. Yeah, just a few turns to see that it was not his league, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think he got out disappointed out of there. I don't know what Neil thinks because he was also there and witnessed everything. Well, let's ask him straight away. Let's bring Neil in right at this point. Yeah, as, as Banwell says, you were there. You saw everything and you've been, you've been hearing the hype as well. What do you make of Marquez's return, mate? Um, I thought it was, it was interesting. Yeah, I could see Manuel's point of view that he might be uh, slightly disappointed. Um, and I thought that the first couple of laps were, were quite amazing because we saw like the, it was like the, the little puppies that have sort of grown into wolves in Marquez's absence, had grown fangs. And they saw the kind of the old master there and decided right, right now is our time to, yeah. you know, go for it. Um, we saw that with uh, some of the overtakes in the first three laps. They were I mean, brutal, really. Yes. Yeah. Um, Mir, yeah. Oh, yeah, Mir's one was great. And I think everyone else just got stuck in after that. So yeah. um, that was that was impressive. Um, and I think, you know, Mark realized that, okay, like no one's paying me any respect. And um, as Manuel said, this isn't really my league. But I think when you think about it in the big picture, it's still pretty impressive that he's come back, um, finished seventh. Um, got some really good points on the board. Um, when he said for the last, you know, seven or eight laps, he was just hanging on. You know, his body position on the bike was all wrong and yes. basically yeah. wasn't riding in any way that, that he knows um, or is any way in normal for him. So, um, yeah, I thought he, I thought, you know, it's, it's a really solid foundation to, to kind of build from. Um, and, you know, there was lots of things like he was only 13 seconds off Quadraro. He was the top Honda. Um, yeah. You know, it's not bad considering. Pretty good. So, what what do you reckon about a B plus all all around? Ah, uh, we give him an A. You know, yeah. Nice, nice. A, yeah. <laughs> Neil, Neil, are you a bit of a Marquez fan? Are you allowed to have favourites? Um, I guess I am secretly. Yeah, I wouldn't say like I admire him. You know, like massively. Yeah. Um, but right. no one uh, watches this anyway. No one will know. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, but he's 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 cheeky. He's definitely cheeky. He's well, out. even at the start, he's sitting there. He's doing the. And I was like, his hand's not sore. If he was really sore, he'd be hiding it. So he was doing that whole psychological, oh, yeah, my, my, yeah. Mm. Sore. Oh, my arms Indeed. would be sore and all that sort of thing. And then he was doing the whole, like they do in Moto3 where he was waiting before everyone else went out. And a lot of the MotoGP oh, guys don't generally do that. And I was like, well, he's, well, what games is he playing? Indeed. We'll definitely get into that a little bit more in a minute, I think. But, Andrew, while while you're, you know, front, front and centre, We've been we've been running this podcast for over twelve months now, and you've seen about half a dozen laps of Mark Marquez in right. the entire time. Yeah. So yeah, this is the first full race that you've ever seen mm-hmm. of Mark Marquez. So what do, what do you make of of what you've seen? And bearing in mind all all the all you've seen is hype beforehand. Oh, for sure. And even to start with, I was like, he better not come out and just beat everyone because it's been really good. You mm-hmm. know, seeing like you say, like Neil said, all these new guys coming up and finding their place, yeah. and then all of a sudden he was doing really well at the beginning I was like oh my god yes go like do this and then he sort of died off and um but yeah like I just said I think the biggest thing for me was seeing his psychological side they obviously all 
you know, play little bits of games and do yeah. certain things, but he does it to a whole next level. So that was very entertaining to watch. Indeed, yeah. So yeah, let's let's dig into that a little bit. So we we saw it especially in uh, in qualifying there, didn't we? With mm-hmm. him following Mir around and and really trying to get on the Taylor people. Um, we haven't seen so many people doing that in this last season. It's only now that Mark's come back that like Mir was looking behind him and saying, "What's going on?" Like Manuel, what? I was what, side what, by what, side. Where are they going? going? Yes, exactly. Like, none of them was going to give it. Yeah. Exactly. That's right. Manuel, what do you what do you what do you think the guys would make of that? The the new guys seeing Mark playing those mind yeah. games. Yeah, look, there is something interesting because if you go back in 2019, is the last season uh, Mark has raced, and go through the the rivals he had, it was Lorenzo, it was Dovizioso, mm-hmm. it was Carl Crutchlow, and suddenly he comes back and he doesn't know the rider he has to race with. So he knew perfectly how Dovizioso was thinking on the bike, how Jorge did think on the bike, but now he has to face young riders who he doesn't know how they act on the bike. So this is for him like starting from scratch. And this Mm -hmm. is very important. He's got a benchmark. Yeah. Because he has, he doesn't know how Mir does race. The Quartararo he raced against in 2019 is a complete different now. He has a much mature Banyaya. He doesn't know. So Mark has to learn how to race it. And this is very important as well, you know, and he saw it in the races, in this race. And what happened in the, in practice between him and Mir, yeah. Mir immediately, immediately asked for respect in his uh, quotes, you know? Yes, yes, he did. And, and, and Mark, with his typical mind game, said, I know it's not right to do something like this, but I did it. Okay, yeah. he's already looking for the confrontation because Mark has to understand all these guys now. And this is another lesson. He has to do this while he gets back into the race pace. For me, it's very interesting. Yeah, exactly. So, Neil, like you've 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 obviously seen Mark of old, and you've seen the new cadre come through. What do you reckon is 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 going to be the the overall reaction as Mark tries his his usual mental tactics on this new group of people? Going to be interesting. I mean, it was quite interesting watching um, the reactions of both the Suzuki guys. Like Mir, as Manuel said, was like, "Hey, you know." He should be penalised for what he did. Yep. Whereas Alex Rins, I think, has had this experience with Mark a few times before. Um, Bruno qualifying in 2019, mm-hmm. they had a bit of a clash, and Rins came out and you know threw his arms up in the air and was pretty unhappy. But um, this time he was like, "Well, you know, Mark's very experienced with these kind of things, and I don't have that experience. This is something I need to learn." Um, but yeah, Mir was definitely like, "Hey, like, you don't do this to me." which um, I thought was quite interesting. You know, it showed that Mir's stature has kind of grown um, certainly over the last year. And, you know, it, it should have done because he's obviously the world champion. But, um, I mean, these guys are going to have to get used to it because Mark does these things all the time. You know, every session, well, maybe not every session, but every weekend he's trying yeah. something. He's working on the little game on, on one of the riders. Um, and, you know, he's done it, as Manuel said, in the past extensively to, you know, Maverick Vinales. He's worked out on, you know, Dovizioso and Rossi. And, he seems yeah, to find a... out who his number one competitor is on any given weekend and just latches on to mentally really try and crush them, doesn't he? Yeah, 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 exactly. So, and you he... know, these guys are going to be you know, tested in ways that they've never been tested before when Mark is coming back up to speed because he's going to try and work on all of them. 
how's it going to work for Mark? Because obviously it's a flip side where he dominated for so long. He's also, like we said, coming back to a, a field of guys that are stronger and probably didn't seem too rattled that he was there. So it's not going to be as easy for him, I think, as it has been before to rattle them. How will it affect, how will it affect Mark? I think that Mark is still Mark, you know. I think mm-hmm. what he showed is he's still at least one step ahead of the rest because with one arm and a half, look what he did. Yeah. yeah. I was going to say the same thing. Yeah, I was going to say it's this is his first race back, you know, and as, as Neil said, he he finished seventh. Incredible result for first race back after so long with one and a half arms, exactly as you say, Manuel. It's not going to be too long before he's back up to pace again. And once he is back up to pace again, and then you put that mental tactics on top of that, he's going to be truly formidable again. And I love that smile on his face at the end. He was, because, you know, he tries to be so, and he just, he just had this grin that he couldn't hide yeah. at the end. Oh, Mark. Yeah. Look, yeah. Andra, I tell oh. you, everything what Mark does, everything is acting. From yeah, 9 a.m. to 21 a.m. So what about the tears. Oh, he just got you with that smile. You, he just fished you. Oh, you he know? just looked happy that he was back <laughs> racing, and he was crying at the end of the race. Oh, was he, he was so happy. That? Yeah, apparently, apparently the, sweat. <laughs> those now. tears apparently were, were genuine. Uh, speaking to one or two people in the team, they said that you know he was genuinely quite emotional, and it wasn't yeah. just in the in the garage. I think he had one or two moments in the truck just by himself where he was uh, a bit overcome. It's nearly um, a year of the... sitting and watching them all. It would have been. Yeah. You've got to give it that. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Manuel's face. Look at Manuel. Uh, I, I think, <laughs> I think you Ever are the all skeptic. too soft. You are all too soft. We <laughs> need to be in the pub, you know. You're in a assassin, <laughs> Manuel. Are we playing here softball or what the hell are we I know, doing? Neil, <laughs> Manuel always tells me off for being like the mum because I'm like, oh, he was so oh, cute. Yeah. He's like, no, <laughs> don't be soft. Look, look, look <laughs> let, let, let me tell you an episode about respect of riders. Yeah. I was talking one day with Cito Pons, Spanish 250 world champion, mm-hmm. and he explained to me that when he was a rookie, the guy who was the big fish in the category was a German called Anton Mann, right? So in, in his first year, there was a race where Anton Mang simply pushed him out of the track. You know, like, I am here the master and you are nobody. So yep. Sito told me that after the race, he went to see Mank and told him, Mank, look here in the back of my letter, the name, his name was written here. He said, nevermore, write oh. down my name. And this is, no, and he explained me, and this is very interesting, that the riders have to solve these things between them. You know, it's yeah. very important. Taking order, yeah. Yeah, for example, I, 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 draw, I, draw, I draw a parallel. What happened between uh, Miller and Mir in, Mir. in uh, Qatar? Mm-hmm. So in Portimao, I went to, I spoke with the Suzuki guys, and I told them, did the two riders speak to each other? He said, no, no, no. It was the manager who went to the race direction. This is wrong. You know? Yeah. Because Mir, Mir has to go to the rider and ask for respect. You know what I mean? They yeah. have to draw, to draw the line, but it's a matter between the riders. Nobody else can speak at the same level. So if they let these things just go, it's not good. 
the rider who, in, in the case of Mir, he should have gone to Miller. Probably they have, they would have argued, mm. but Jack but would, have felt, would have felt something different that yeah. if just the manager says something to him. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Look, so look, I want to move on from Marquez because there's so much more to talk about. But before we do, I just want to check with the two professionals in the room. Um, any other final comments or, or observations from from uh, from Marquez, Manuel? Uh, no, I think that we can link uh, what happened with Marquez with, for me, what has been the main um, the main lesson or the main issue of this Grand Prix. Look. After only three Grand Prix, the, the Portugal Grand Prix has been funny because it has perfectly defined who is the leader in every box. But mm. very clear, you know, in, in all the different brands. Because when we arrived, for example, in Yamaha, there were the two guys who had won each, each had won a race. Yep, yep. We go out of Portugal knowing that Quartararo is the guy in the Yamaha mm. garage. He's a man. In Honda, we have seen... Marquez, he is the one still there because he is the only one who didn't crash. He is the only one and finished the first Honda. In the Ducati garage, who started the season being the reference? Jack Miller. Who came out being the reference of the Ducati garage? Peko Bagnaia. Peko Bagnaia, yeah. In Suzuki, it was very interesting because if Rins had finished that race, he would have questioned Mir position in the garage but he once again failed in the highlight in the in the in the right moment so Mir came clearly out of the of this race being the number one and this has happened in every garage after just three races after three races <laughs> everything every every garage knows who is the the leader of and this is something mm, yeah that, and it's clear testing, quite interesting Great observation. Great observation. Neil, from, from your point of view, any, any, any final sort of observations on Mark before we move on, do you think? Um, I just think that it was interesting how he dealt with the race after those first couple of laps, because anyone that I was speaking to in Qatar, for example, and we were talking about when Mark returns, the general thought was, yeah, he'll say that he'll take it easy, but once he's with the leaders, will he be able to control himself? Mm, and we saw that maybe he... Yeah, maybe he wasn't able to control himself in the first lap because he passed uh, he passed a few riders. He was up to third, I think. He passed Miller. Um, but after that kind of first barrage of moves, he settled himself. And he basically was, I think he was in ninth. And he was like, okay, this is my position. Let's just start working on my pace. And he wasn't doing anything too silly or too crazy. Um, and I think, you know, it's just a sign that he is, although he loves fighting and everything, he is still a very mature rider and he is mm. able to look at the long, at the long term, at the, at the bigger picture. Um, so, yeah, I think this is another reason why you have to commend him because he, he didn't get caught up after the first couple of laps. He, he was mature and he thought about it and controlled uh, himself, yeah, some... finished the race. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. exactly. Nice. Yeah. So yeah, it might, it might be. We've we've always said, like, as as you just mentioned there, Neil, he's he gets that red mist coming down all the time. You always go, oh, it's Mark. Here we go. He's gonna he's gonna go for it. Maybe this injury is forcing him to be more mature and forcing him to play the long game. And as he develops back into it over the next half a dozen races or so, he might sort of see the benefit and and actually figure out how to do that and that might add another facet to his game 
as he uh, as he moves forward. Interesting. Yeah. Can we talk about Peko? Yeah, that's what I was about to say. Let's we've we've got to talk about Peko. Like for for me, right of the weekend was in MotoGP was was Peko. Um, yeah, and Andrew, what what do you, what do you reckon about that guy? Do they show? Do they get something on their dash to say there's a yellow flag, or it's just a yellow flag? And if oh, you don't see it, you don't see it. Oh, do they no, give them any indication? Or no, no, there's there's nothing that comes up on the dash. Um, yeah, we, we, this is this is going to be the point. Always knocked back to eleventh. Yeah, there was. Obviously, we've seen the footage. They've got they've gone to these digital yellow flags now. So they've got these little. Well, they're about that big, but you know they, they look tiny. These little yellow digital flashing things. Um, how the rider is supposed to see that when he's doing whatever speed he was doing going into that corner is ridiculous. Um, Neil, from 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 your point of view, with Peko and the yellow flag, do you think it's uh, it's it's a bit much to expect a rider to see the first yellow flag that was presented to him to not give him a couple of corners grace and to completely take his lap away from him? Um, I mean. I can understand the rules are there because, you know, they obviously want to try and make things safer for um, the marshals and the riders that are maybe in the gravel tramp. Um, but when you look at the the replay, yeah, it was, it was difficult for Peko to see the yeah. yellow flag. It was being displayed on the right of the track. He was leaning off the left of his bike, going through a pretty fast yeah. left corner. So I don't think we can be too critical um, for him in that instance. Um, although it was quite interesting listening to Alessia Spargro on Saturday because he was asked about it and he was like, Oi, I crashed on Friday. The yellow flags were being shown and I saw Peko come round like, you know, it was the last lap of the race and he didn't show any sort of caution. So right. it was Alessia's opinion that there are a lot of riders on the grid that don't really pay sufficient uh, attention to what the track marshals are doing. And Peko was someone that he singled out specifically. Um, so, yeah, it was it was unlucky. Um, and we're, what we're seeing now, I think, with with this kind of rule where lap times are automatically just cut if there is a yellow flag anywhere on the track, is that people are having to reassess their qualifying strategy. I think Mir just had one soft tire left for his Q2. And he said, I went out and did it straight away because, you know, the, know in the final happened. laps, everyone's pushing and they're okay, crashing. Yep. And then, you know, your lap times are just talk, uh, chalked off as a consequence of that. So it's... It means that qualifying now in MotoGP is even more of a lottery than I think it, it ever has been. Exactly, and when we, we we were hearing that ever since they you know, they they brought this new yellow flag regulation in, it was like, oh, you're going to have people are are going to go and get that fast lap in with a minute to go, and then they're going to go and play possum at the end of turn one, and and just go, oh, look, you know, well, where's me? I'm going to spend three minutes trying to trying to get up. Um, so, so yeah, you're, you're, it, we haven't actually seen that yet, but you're right. It brings new facets into into qualifying, that's for sure. So, very interesting. Look, moving into the race, Peko, incredible race, Manuel. I know you've you've been looking at it very closely. What's what's your assessment of of that race from from Peko? I I would say that the most important, uh, he showed his maturity. Right, he has exactly. learned a lot, a lot. Because if you look at the lap chart, uh, you can see how slowly he moved forward, right? He didn't, he had everything under control because he has, it seems that he has learned how to manage the tires. He overtakes when he thinks he is ready to overtake. So he was fantastic, mature. If we see at the lap chart, we can see clearly uh, that, for example, Mir has. Uh, made his step forward immediately after the start, mm -hmm. you know? Yep. 
Peko, I don't know how much it took, but it took a lot, 20 laps or 80 laps to get there. And and the end of result was the same. One finished second and the other one finished third. Mm. So there are very different ways to get there. It's very interesting. You know, every rider has his strategy. Obviously, it's all, it all, also depends on the bike that everyone is riding. But Peko did... Uh, you know, and how do you say A, you know? A he looks race. like he rode, he rode smart. It looks like he really... Did. No, he rode mature is the word, you know, mm. mature. Yep. And if you have the... I always like to, to watch twice at the races because the first time you are so, uh, you know, intense that you don't <laughs> see. But if you look at it again, have a look at the corner speed of Peko. His corner mm. speed was... Incredible. It was like seeing Jorge Lorenzo on the Ducati. Exactly yes. the same. Yes, he, he's now riding the Ducati like Jorge did. Immense mm. corner speed, and that was really amazing. If when, You can see two, two bikes arriving at the corner, and suddenly, Peko, yep. at the exit, yep. has gained a lot of meters. Mm -hmm. You know? That's the corner speed. Exactly, yeah. Like, yeah, like, like Jorge after he finished his Ducati contract, but before, he, yeah, that, <laughs> that Jorge in the yeah. last year, exactly. The last year, Jorge. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, yeah, go, go, Neil. Yep. Sorry, yeah, no, I was just going to add to what Manuel said. I think, you know, Peko said during the off-season that one of his big issues in 2020 was that when the track temperatures were high, everything was cool. And we saw his best performances of the season in really hot races at Jerez and in Misano, even though he crashed out. Um, and what he really had to work on was getting his tyres up to temperature quickly and basically not just spending the first two or three laps of a session gradually getting everything up to speed because effectively you lose track time you know and track why time is that in. is it just him getting getting it where he it's, needs it to be or i think it's just confidence um didn't feel comfortable okay. when the tires were cold mm -hmm. um and i think that does take a bit of time to to get up to speed and when you looked at friday morning um it was obviously i think a half and half track there were lots of damp patches the pace was was slow um but Pekka was sixth in that session. And he said that he's been working basically all winter at the ranch, trying to make sure that he is as fast as he can be from the exit of any time he's riding. And I think we've seen that because there have been a few cooler sessions, maybe in Qatar and then in Portimao as well. So that, I think, bodes well for somewhere like if we go to Le Mans, for example. I mean, there were some tracks last year where Pekka was just nowhere, like absolutely lost, yeah. like at finishing last, like yeah. completely last. Yep. And it was like, what, what the hell's going on? This guy was incredible in Mizano. So I think, yeah, this performance was, was, was very good and mature, like, like Manuel said. But I think also there were signs during the weekend that he has made a, a significant step forward in the area that he was weakest. Uh, was he year. not up there last year because of his injury? Was that impacting him quite a bit during the season? The, the leg, wasn't it? Yeah. I remember, him, I remember first of all, he was going out on crutches or something to yeah. get on his bike. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. He had a crash. And... Uh, go ahead. Sorry. No, so, sorry, Manuel. Go. No, no. The, the thing is that uh, Peko just didn't... The first years, he didn't understand how to ride a MotoGP. He did ride like Moto2 bike. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I once I met him in Le Mans and I asked him how did he feel on a, on a track that is stop and go, clearly, like Le Mans is. And he said, no, I don't feel like Le Mans is a stop and go bike. Uh, it's more a corner speed circuit. And when I heard this, I said, he's not understanding. He's not understanding. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you haven't got your head around the bike yet, clearly. 
<laughs> and, but look, the, the, the Peco we saw in Portimao is the Peco we saw in Moto2, the brilliant Peco of Moto2, nice. where he won seven or eight races, and he was the big man that year, and he's coming mm. back. I, I'm putting him in my fantasy league. <laughs> yeah, me too. He's, <laughs> I, I've actually... Yet. Yep, I've actually got him with, you know, you, uh, you, you put one of them on fire. You yep. can get double points. Yeah, I've got him for double points on my fantasy league at the moment. Yeah. Indeed. And when you look at that championship that he won a Model 2, um, the guys that he was fighting with uh, that year were Oliveira, Alex Marquez, Juan Mir, and Fabio Quartararo. And he, yeah. he was comfortably the best rider that season. So, you know, yep. Peco is, yeah, wow. Peco is top. I think we're going to see a lot more of him at the front. Better keep Indeed. an eye on him. Um, speaking of strategy, and I don't mean to ruin the mood, but what happened to Maverick? <laughs> don't mean to ruin the mood. What happened Sorry, I didn't mean I didn't want to put we, a downer we on said, it. But, but, and well, you remember we said after the first race, we went, is is this Maverick, he's, this is his year, or is was that his one race and he's just going to fade away? And I think you said, just wait for a few races and see what happens. <laughs> Look, I have to, <laughs> after the, after the Portimao race, I thought to myself, oh, Maverick is the same story than ever. But... Yeah. Give him now a couple doing, more races, you reckon, maybe? Uh, no, 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 no. I'm doing the lawyer, Maverick's lawyer. Now I'm playing <laughs> the role Maverick's lawyer. Okay. Look, Ed, have a look. I think we can show this uh, famous lap chart that I am talking about. Mm -hmm. And in this lap chart, you can see how many positions Fabio Quartararo loses after the start. Mm -hmm. I think he crosses the first time the finish line or the start line in six position or something like mm -hmm. this. So mm -hmm. he loses five positions. Uh, Maverick loses eight or something like this. So what he says about this famous whole shot device is true, right? Mm -hmm. So it happens not only to him, it happens all, all. What happened after that is the attitude, okay? And the starting position. Yeah. Obviously, when uh, starting from the from the pole position, he loses fifth, but he's still in the leading group. And I tell you something. Look, in my opinion, for example, what Mir does, starting like a rocket and getting it to the group, MotoGP in this moment is so close that it's almost fundamental be in the group at the beginning because being in the group, they push you forward. Mm-hmm. Right, you are there. The problem is that being behind, if you have Maverick Vinales mentality, you just give up the race. Yeah. Peko, for example, he came, he came and 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 got there. But look, another interesting story. If you look at the fourth row of the Grand Prix, there were Miguel Oliveira, Peko Bañaya, and Maverick Vinales. This was the fourth row, and have a look how they finished the race. Maverick Vinales just gave up. Mm. Oliveira, he tried to get there because he was there. Tried, 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 crashed. He had extra pressure. Peco, Peco yeah. dude made it on his uh, pace and got there. You know, mm -hmm. these are th three different ways to approach the same situation and the results we saw there. So going back to Yamaha, uh, I have to defend a little bit Vinales because He's not uh, wrong when he says that the Yamaha is a clear problem at the start. Clear problem. Mm. The thing is what happens after that, no? Exactly. Mm. That's Look exactly at Fabio. Right. 
Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, Neil, what do you reckon of, of Vinales? We we saw. Did we see the best of him in uh, in Qatar race one, and and we, we might see another couple of flashes through the year, or are we ever going to see him as a world champion? I don't know about seeing him as world champion, but I I do think there there are reasons to believe that he's a he's a more rounded character this year. He's a you know circumstances the situation he's in is is definitely it should let him perform more consistently. But then, you know, what happened to Portimao was just, it was desperate. It was really bad. And mm. um, I mean, at one point he was behind Lorenzo Salvadori, like, what yeah. are you doing? <laughs> it was, uh, it was, yeah, it was quite, it was just quite, quite tough to watch. Um, and he had and those issues the race, with the going over the line. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was harsh in the extreme, you know, losing his pole position lap for that. Um, yeah. And it seemed as though we maybe carried that sense of injustice with him, that kind of anger, uh, into Saturday. Uh, sorry, into Sunday, and it, mm. you know, that obviously showed in his his race performance. So, Look, yeah, it's but, uh, disappointing. Yeah, but you know, Maverick. After that, I don't know uh, if you saw it. Uh, he had an issue in on social media with with uh, people who wrote that he should. He doesn't deserve the bike he's riding and so on. And he answered like saying, hey, if you think I there is another rider that deserves the bike more than me, I just give it my bike. So, you know, entering in this type of... Shouldn't have, yeah. Yeah, on social media, you know that yeah, it's a never-ending story. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and this shows that after the race, he was pretty nervous. Yeah. Because yeah, if not, why should he enter in these things? We already have Jorge Lorenzo for this kind of stuff. You know, I was about to say that. Another... Yeah, <laughs> if we want an idiot on social media, we just go and look at Jorge Lorenzo's profile. Yeah, and just exactly. See what he's doing with Max Biaggi these days. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Indeed. Okay. It's, so look. It's interesting though, like listening to um, Jack Miller said it after the Doha GP. I heard I spoke with John McPhee over the weekend. Obviously, he had a really bad Doha GP as well. Mm -hmm. They both basically said. We had crap races. Don't look at social media. That's the secret. Yeah. Just do not even waste your mental energy reading. So or certain people are writing because it's just going to worry you or upset you. Or and again, it's 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 wasting your energy. Why mm. why get involved? It's elementary in the twenty first century, isn't it? It really is. Yeah. Um, okay. Look, let's let's move on. Um, let's talk about the world champion just briefly, Joanne Mir. Um, again, as you said, as you said, Manuel, a, a different way of going about it, but he got on the podium just like just like Peko did. His first podium for the year um, in in his world world title defense year. Uh, what's your your overall thoughts about uh, about uh, Joanne's performance, Manuel? Look, he he is conquering me more and more. Uh, I I no no I feel upset or. When people say that he doesn't, he didn't deserve the title he won last year. Yep. Mir is showing that he's a hell of a mm -hmm. world champion. Mm -hmm. And he, this guy is very good. You know, this guy, and we will see a very good rider. He didn't win because he was the less bad guy last year. No, no, no. He's, he's showing that he is a very good rider. Yeah, no, no, but consistency, and, and, his character... Well, his way, uh, how he handles the situation, not doing mistakes. He never does exactly. mistakes. Exactly. That's exactly not right. And, and Neil, sorry, 
No, he's not. That's right. Neil, just, just for, a, for a bit of background here, I've got to drop this in. Um, I'm, I'm a complete mere fanboy. I am the, I'm the first person to admit it. Um, I have been for the last two or three years at least. Um, and it was right at the beginning of last year that I predicted Mia was going to win the world championship, Did. didn't I? Oh, we lovely. recorded it and everything. We were, we, it's, oh. it's on tape. It is indeed. Yeah. Sorry, Manuel, <laughs> continue. <laughs> yeah, no, no. What I, what I said, he was mature. He doesn't uh, does errors. And this, he's showing that he's a real champion. Mm-hmm. He's very, I like, I, I, again, he's conquering me with every race, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And nice. his mum's hot. And his mum's super hot. <laughs> more importantly, exactly. Sorry, I just thought I'd throw that in. Yeah, it's exactly. more positives, I don't know. Um, yeah, sure. Can I Can I just, sorry, I'm going to jump in again and can I take us down another little rabbit hole? Because one of the yeah. riders is really bothering me because I want to know what's going on. What's going on with Frankie? Yeah. He's no sad. He's... He is, he's not in a good place. I mean, he had a, re- he had a reasonable result yeah, on, yeah. on the weekend. But yeah, he doesn't seem like he's in a good place. I'm gonna, maybe we'll put this over to Neil. Neil, what do you what do you what do you think of what where Frankie's head's at at the moment? Um, I think before I say anything, it's worth pointing out that he rode a really good race on Sunday. Mm. And yes. if you look at his race time from 2020 in Portimao and his race time from Sunday, I think there was a tenth of a second difference in his race times. Yep. So wow. it shows you that he is a very, very consistent performer and that he did ride really well on Sunday. Mm. However, I think when you look at this season as a whole, it's maybe just a consequence of when a rider has a season like Frankie did last year, they rightly start to think that they are one of the top names in the class and therefore yeah. they should be treated thus. Mm-hmm. And it is clear, I think, from watching and listening to Frankie this year that he already is harboring a bit of resentment at Yamaha that they haven't given him the best package this year, yeah. despite his results married in it last year. I mean, yep. there's lots of comments where he's just basically saying, well, you know, considering I'm 15 kilometers per hour slow on the streets, it's going to be difficult to do this. Or, you know, considering everyone else has made such big steps forward this year, uh, you know, I, I'm just still at the same level. Last year, he didn't talk like that. He sort of mm. used his... His kind of his weaknesses almost to to his advantage. He never got caught up in what was wrong with his package. He just focused on what was positive. Yeah, um, and that was what was so remarkable about what he did last year. Um, but this year, you don't have that. You feel that he's already counting down the time until he's on another bike at the end of the year. And that's where I wonder what's going on that we don't see because you've got these other riders that are getting the attention and time and money and better bikes that aren't exactly performing amazing either. So that's got to be frustrating for him. But is there, I don't know, we were talking, I think, the other week about some yeah. of the higher up managers have their favorite riders. You know, yeah. is is Frankie sort of, and it's just me outer, making an assumption. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah like, uh-huh. What Manuel? Oh, look, the, the, the story with Maver- uh, with Maverick, with uh, Morbidelli, for me, it's pretty clear. He rides a 2019 bike, mm. right? So the bike is already two years older than the rest, already. Yep. So yep. last year, it was competitive enough to win three races and mm-hmm. finish runner-up. This year, the others that have done another step forward. So, and he still races the same bike. So after Qatar, I spoke with his t- uh, crew chief with Forcada, and they wanted to check in uh, in Portimao. Portimao was like an exam to check where they 
are this season. Mm-hmm. Okay, because they had the lap times from last year, they did a third, a podium, and they wanted to check. So, as Neil said, uh, basically the race, ta- the race time was the same. Mm-hmm. So, the gap was bigger because, mm-hmm. this, because so the they are too. doing yeah. the same that they did last year. They yeah. can't go further because the bike doesn't allow them. So, the gap well, is only five seconds the, off Fabio, for God's sake. He's, he's doing pretty well. Yeah, but mm. this five seconds is what the bike, ha- the others have improved. Yeah, exactly. You understand? So, for me, it's very clear that um, uh, Frankie has to race this season kind of an endurance, cha- endurance mm. championship. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Oh, I think he has to, fourth every he has race. To, he has to bet on consistency because he has not yeah. the machine, he has not mm-hmm. the tools. Yeah. So, okay. Because the other have stepped forward. This is so clear after this race. Yep. And he has done a fantastic race. And there is where he has to be. And now and then get a result. But he, on the paper, he can't get uh, on the tracks and get there to think in podiums or in winning. He mm. has to do his own championship. Yep, exactly. Mm. Exactly. You know? And there is another thing. I want to throw a little bit, a little bit of poison in in this story. Why not? Because I now am a journalist. I am a journalist. Okay. <laughs> I just throw it. Okay. <laughs> then you think whatever you want. Uh, Frankie belongs to the VR forty six, right? Darren Speckle. Yep. The one who manages his career is VR forty six. So last year, VR46 was negotiating in Team Petronas. One mm-hmm. factory bike and one non-factory bike. Yep. Mm-hmm. I throw it there. Yeah. Who gets yeah. what? Yeah. Well, yeah. If, if one question, if uh, Frankie had another manager, a manager for himself, do you yeah. think this manager would have fought more intensively to get a factory bike? Yeah, or, exactly. 2021 bike, yeah. Or was a VR46 more worried in Valentino getting the factory bike? Yeah. I know that this thinking is very journalistic thinking, but it's there. It's a fact, you know? Yeah, but even to a simple person like me, it's like, yeah, well, that makes sense. There's nothing really to think about, is there? Yeah. Neil, Neil wants yeah. to say something. Yeah, Neil, what do you reckon? Uh, yeah, no, I think it's it's a good point. I am, I'm just confused as to why Yamaha um, continued to go down this line with the, the 2019 bike. Lynn mm. Jarvis said exactly. over the, the winter that um, they had to come to a decision so they could know what to build in the factories and how many spare parts to make and things like this. Um, I think it was midway through last season. But even still midway through last season, Franco was showing the kind of performances and form to suggest that he had made a massive step forward mm-hmm. and that he could be um, a race winner. And, you know, look at look at all the other um, satellite teams now. They all have full factory bikes. And, you know, it's, it's proved to be a real benefit for all of these factories. You know, mm-hmm. Honda, KTM, Ducati. Uh, I just think it's, um, it's, it's silly because they could have another guy. We, we know how... Rossi's obviously having a, a terrible time. Yeah. Maverick is so hot and cold. 
Frankel proved that he can be a real consistent performer last year, and why not have they, two? That's what I don't get. Yeah, yeah, they can have another guy getting data, getting genuine, viable data for them. That's the main thing. And speaking, like, as an engineer, my head straight away goes to, as, as yours just did, Neil, to the, the logistics of, of manufacturing all the different spare parts. And, and this is a, for a 2019 bike. This is for a 2021 bike. It almost seems more difficult than it would be easy just to, just to give Still, him the 2021 well, bike. Well, there's more power Still, at play. They, they, are not, they are not manufactured in 19 bike. These parts are already manufactured. You know? Right. You know? So it's just so the, the, old parts go. The machinery is working on 2019 parts. No way. They are just using what they have. Yeah. Is it a higher power then that's making these decisions and making these calls? It has to be because there's, there's no logic in it. Mm. The logic is that, look, the logic is the Yamaha policy. Yamaha normally has always had two factory bikes and a satellite bike. Mm. And yep. Maverick, uh, Maverick, no, Morbidelli could have perfectly, uh, he could have started the season with the same bike the others are using. Started the season. Then the evolution is the factory team. But this is down to money. Yamaha is always have been, do you want a carbon fiber swing arm? Half million. Do you yep. want... So it's down to budget. Mm. Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay. Look, let's move forwards. In the interest of time, um, I just want to put honorable mentions. Brad Bender, amazing ride. Great ride. Fantastic performance from Brad. Um, can I get a quick comment from, from you first, Manuel, on, on Brad's performance on the KTM? Yes, Brad uh, reflects exactly what I explained before. He was so... Uh, smart to get into the leading group yeah. and this leading group pushed him forward mm -hmm. and obviously they went out into the race with a harder rear tire i think which yeah, was hard yeah the, the other one simply didn't work and they did a bet but and brad was smart to just hook on the top riders you know this is exactly what nice Neil, so yeah, for a bit more background, again, my uh, my my number two guy is second Brad Binder. Love. Yeah, my my second <laughs> love, definitely. I've I've made it quite clear that I think Mir may struggle a little bit this year, as much as I like him, and I think Brad Binder is the other dark horse coming in. So, um, yeah, completely ignoring that, what was your thoughts on on <laughs> on his performance last weekend? Uh, <laughs> but you better well, be nice to him. <laughs> yeah, I'll, no, con I'll continue that sentiment. Uh, and say that yeah, I thought he was he was sensational. Um, it was another race like the Doha GP where yeah. he was nowhere really all weekend, nowhere in qualifying, and um, he fights through to get like a really good finish close to the close to the winner. Um, and it's worth saying that in Qatar um, and in Portugal, they didn't have a front tire in the allocation that the KTM's really liked. They had the uh, the front tire that Oliveira used to win last year's race was taken out of the allocation for this year. So the KTMs were like, hey, so Brad was using the tire that he said on Friday was like bubblegum. It was so soft mm. that it just wasn't working with the bike. Yet he managed to find a way to work with it. Um, so when they get to racetracks where they actually have a front tire that they think is hard enough and has the rigidity that the KTM needs, then... So basically I mean, a concrete front tire. <laughs> exactly, yeah. The guy's, <laughs> the guy's going to be guy's going to be up there, definitely, yeah. Yeah. Can we Fantastic. do like wild and crazy like the footage here when the F1's on and jump to Moto3 now? Hang on. Before we do, I just want to put one more one more honourable mention. I know you're, you're hanging for it, aren't you? Um, Alicia Spargo. Again, Aprilia continue to impress. Like, I, I, 
I just want to put it out there again. Fantastic. And also in the break, and I just saw some footage over the over the weekend of Dovi on the Aprilia as well. So again, good. Gener- yeah, he did <laughs> generating data for them at, uh, at Hareth, I think it was. Um, yeah, what do you guys what do you guys think of, um, of of the general form of the Aprilia? How much of a surprise is it for you, Neil? Um, yeah, I would say it's a surprise because they've been good in in preseason, you know, lots of times in the last couple of years. But we've got to the races and they've been way far back. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they've taken a real step forward this year. There's, I think, there's no doubt about that now. Um, you know, Alesh has been less than ten seconds away from the race winner in each of the three races. Um, he's equaled Kate, uh, he's equaled Aprilia's, you know, best result in the four-stroke era. Um, and, I mean, just his comments, he, he was saying on Sunday that he was actually a wee bit disappointed with sixth place. He thought he could uh, be a bit closer to the podium. And he went on record saying That's this year, comment. he'll be on the podium. Absolutely. So yep. That'll be good to say. It's, it's, and, and this is before, you know, Davizioso's kind of presence. We were still yet to understand mm-hmm. exactly what Davizioso will do. But if they manage to get him on board in some respect, I mean, that can only be a positive thing. Yeah, exactly. Manuel, what do you reckon? No, for me, the most important, and obviously I can only subscribe what uh, Neil said, but the interesting thing is that Aleix raced from the first lap to the last one. Normally, yeah. he races or one half or the second half, but this time it was the full race that he was competitive. Yeah. And that's the news. Yeah, indeed, indeed. And before we before we go and skip to Moto3, we haven't even mentioned the you race so winner. Mean. Fabio. I know, I'm terrible, <laughs> I'm such a tease. Uh, we haven't even mentioned the race winner, FQ20. Like, what a, what a fantastic performance. Um, realistically, we saw him at the beginning of last year. Like, I think we were three or four races in and we were saying, Shut the gate. That's it. Fabio's a world champion. Like it's going to be daylight second, and then he just fell apart. At the end of last year, he he did talk about how there were psychological issues in the background, and then through the off season, we heard how he had a lot of psychological coaching and assistance. Mm-hmm. Manuel, do you think this is what we're seeing at the start of this more mature Fabio with this psychological coach? Are we going to see more consistent results? What do you reckon? Yeah, for me, it was interesting what he said after the race, that he said, yes, the 2021 Yamaha has improved clearly compared with last year. But then he says, but 70% of the increase of performance, it's me. So it's down to mental. And it shows that um, it confirms that the bike that last year has won or did win seven races wasn't that bad. Mm. Mm-hmm. Fabio yep. is look strong and and what when we go back when we started, Marcus has to learn how to raise the new the new Fabio. Mm. Right? Mm-hmm. The exactly. one he the one he played with in 2019 uh, is he, not there he anymore. Did. He toyed with him. That's right. Yeah, mm. Neil, what do you think of Fabio's performance on the weekend? Uh, I thought it was great. I thought there were two aspects that really stood out. Um, how he almost invited the pressure from Alex Rins through the race. And he thought, well, you know, Alex was not really showing this pace yesterday, um, but he's still here. That's impressive. So let's lower the lap time again. And Rins stayed with him. And then he thought, oh, okay, impressive. Let's lower the lap time again. And he continued doing this for about nine laps. And eventually Rins broke. And, and basically Fabio had was so self-assured 
thinking I've got better the pace than them. So all I need yeah. to do is keep keep lowering it, mm-hmm. and Rins will eventually break, and that's what happened. Um, and just another quick story, which I thought was quite funny. Then a colleague uh, who commentates on MotoGP, Steve Day, uh, he hosts the uh, press conferences on Saturday and Sunday, and mm-hmm. he said normally if Fabio's in the, the the Saturday press conference, they maybe speak for a little you know minute or so afterwards, and Fabio tells him how he's going. He said on Saturday. Um, or he said normally on Saturdays he says to Fabio so maybe I'll see you here tomorrow after the race and Fabio is a bit like mm, well we'll see what happens and you know he kind of plays it down but he said on this occasion on Saturday Fabio said I'll see you tomorrow so he was absolutely <laughs> brilliant nice, yeah um, that he was going to be there so I think this is another step you know yeah. mentally and yeah. you know just in terms of his speed He had so much clarity, like looking at the chart we'll put up, um, how he dropped back to six, but then he's just like, you can see he's clearly back what he was leading from lap 10 and Mm. that was it. See you later. Mm. He just, yeah, yeah. no, it's good to see. Why does he have, why does he not have an undershirt under his leathers like everyone else? Because you wouldn't see his abs and his his shaved chest. (laughs) (laughs) It's just just for you, Andrew. It's Don't they just get chafing? You. There must be something happens on, on the nipples. Yeah. Oh, he has no hair though, so he's probably okay. Oh, but no, you would. You'd get all that chafing on the nipples. I reckon he puts little what do you call them pasties on there over the nipples just Maybe before Manuel. just before he suits up. Maybe. That's what it is. Maybe he's he's probably got a stripper girlfriend, and she just puts the little pasties over the nipples. Maybe tassels. Well, uh, we ask him in this. I'll buy to your superior knowledge on this, too. Yeah. How, do you, how do you project your nipples? <laughs> See, there you go, Neil. You learn something new every day. This We deal with the big issues here on the Pacino Report. Uh... <laughs> All right. Okay. Moto3. Let's talk about Moto3. Thank you very much. Pedro Acosta. Wow. What a ride. Got to say, girl corner. screaming. Yeah. Up, up the inside of Dennis Foggia. Lost the front. Held it. Still maintained it over the line. Oh, Neil, I've got to go to you straight away on this. What do you think of Pedro? Oh, yes, Neil is the one. Now yeah, it's yeah. Manuel. Oh, Manuel, you can yeah. shut up here. Neil, for, for a year we've been doing this podcast, and for a year Manuel has been going, whenever we said we want to talk about Moto 2 and Moto 3, Manuel's been going, no. oh, no, no. a little, little buzz bikes. We don't care about that. I'm, I'm going think... to mute my microphone. Now. Yes. <laughs> I don't think he's watched a Moto3 race in his life, to be honest. I don't think he has. I, well, he's only just started this year, actually, after he's been talking to us. So, yeah, Neil, what do you reckon? Yeah, impressive. I mean, I would almost say that this race was more impressive than his, his ride to the victory in Doha, because mm-hmm. that was that was insane. But clearly, the league group and the Doha GP were just messing around. Yep. Yeah, yeah. They were like they were 15 seconds each other up. Exactly. Yeah, they were 15 mm-hmm. seconds slower than the previous year's race. And they were just... Yeah, they weren't riding in a clever way. Um, whereas this race, I mean, Foggia was actually really, really fast. Um, he has a good record at this track. And Acosta just sat behind them like a veteran. You know, it was a, a ride you would expect from Darren Binder or mm-hmm. John McPhee or someone that's been in the class for five or six years. Yep, yep. And he was amazing on the brakes. Amazing. Mm. We, were, we were talking the other week about, uh, I can't remember who it was now, someone in Moto2 that were riding like they're in Moto3 where they don't really protect their line when they're in front. And correct me if I'm wrong, Manuel, but it looked like Acosta was doing that very, very well. Like he does seem to have that awareness that a lot of the riders at that level don't have where he kind of protects his line to stop people getting past him. Yeah, well, what what, what uh, attracted my attention is that he tried along the race almost in every corner. He had a move, you know, mm. he had tried the move. 
So mm. he had everything so under control. And I think what describes Acosta is what Mark Marquez said about him. You know, he said when he was asked about, uh, do you follow Acosta? And Mark said, of course I do. And then he said, this guy is very, very good. He mm. said he writes in a way no, no other rider writes in Moto3. Mm. And then he adds, and he will arrive in MotoGP and will do very, very well. So nice. This said by Mark Marquez. Nice. So when you have a rider that, that's young and is that incredible and obviously all the attentions on him, how does, and you guys have obviously seen a few of them come through like this, because he seems pretty grounded and got his head together. How do you, how does he stay like that and not get ahead of himself and go, I'm going to be the next Valentino Rossi or Mark Marquez? How do you keep him on that journey? Or is that down to his team and managers? Um, I think it's partly down to his character. Um, mm -hmm. He seems like an intelligent young kid. Mm -hmm. You speak to him. And he's like his English is already amazing English. Oh, yeah, better Hearing than Manuel's. The podium is fantastic. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, he's got like the right management. I mean, um, Jorge Lorenzo's former manager is working with him. Alicia Spargro's yeah. manager, um, and yeah, he's working with Aki Ayo, who certainly knows how to uh, keep exactly. everyone sort of just a bit grounded, a bit chilled, and uh -huh. not get ahead of themselves. So I don't know. I think it's interesting because. Manuel mentioned what Mark said, and Mark said, I think he's going to win the Moto 3 this year, but let's not put too much pressure on him. So it was almost yeah, as if right. Mark was, <laughs> was testing him because he was like, he's I'm going him out from afar. It was almost like he was, yeah. It was like, I'm going to raise the expectations and then say, yeah. well, let's see. No much see how he to, handles let's it. not put too much pressure. So, yeah, yeah he's, he's clearly He's special. already playing games for in a couple of years, isn't he? And that's what he's doing. Yeah, he's striking him out indeed. Yeah. And look, obviously, Dennis Foggia rode an amazing, uh, an amazing race. Um, I, I, for one, thought Andre Mino was was going to get that that race up until about three quarter. I thought he just had too much. Um, and uh, honourable mention, Gabriel Rodrigo. How the hell did he stay on that bike? Oh my that, god, that, that was, was like... that was ridiculous. I was waiting for him to go over the top. That was crazy. Yep, and. We have to talk about our mate Darren Binder. Yeah, what happened? I, I missed well, that. They walked up to him just before the was it just before the race started when actually you're you've got a penalty. You're on pit lane. Yeah, Neil, yeah. what happened there? Yeah, I think it was Sunday morning that those guys were um, notified that Darren would be starting from pit lane. Um, but yeah, it was it was just quite puzzling to see um, how little impact he made. Really. Yeah, mm. you know, he, it's like he just yeah. spat the dummy and went well. I'm just gonna yeah. Here. Right. Yeah. Or that he just, you know, he didn't have the pace um, mm -hmm. at, at the front. But um, yeah, it was, it was, it was a shame um, because Binder's obviously had such a great start to the season. But I think yeah. that was maybe a bit of a. I was wondering yeah. too. He seems to scrap better. Like he performs better when he's under pressure and in amongst doing the bumping and all that. Where he was back quite away. Maybe he just didn't get his. I don't know, teeth in. Yeah. Mm. It does. Was that? It does, he... Sorry. It, sorry. It does make you also think, you know, Darren obviously is is excellent and a, a real fighter, but we've never really seen him do something like, like Ralph Fernandez mm -hmm. did yeah. in Model 3. Like just, you know, consistently lapped mm -hmm. by himself really quickly. You know, when, when Darren's fast, he's usually in a big group and he's got he's other got guys there as a reference. Yep. And then when he had to do it all by himself in that race, it, mm -hmm. was, it didn't quite work out. So I don't know whether that's telling but it, it, mm. it was a, a bad weekend. Yeah. Bad weekend, yeah. but yeah, see what happens. Next. I mean, it, was a, it was a bad weekend for the Patronus team in Moto3 all around. John McPhee, 23rd, oh. uh, out, of, out of 24 finishes, realistically, was, was, was not a good thing. 
Um, obviously, having to start from the pit lane with the with the penalty for his little fisty cuffs the week before. But you know, in the long run, he uh, he lost the fight with uh, with Alcoba because Alcoba finished 14th. So, mm, oh well, <laughs> that's how it goes, isn't it? <laughs> and Massia so, fell off. And Massia, oh my god. So um, again, Neil, more background. We're not fans of Massia on this podcast. <laughs> no, funnily enough. Do you know what? We, I don't yeah. hate him this year. I don't. No, we no, we we don't hate him, but we we yet. Oh, I mean, I, again, Andrew, I'm not going to speak for you, but I'm yet to see anything that really impresses me and makes me go, "Wow, I want to look at that kid." You know. Oh, uh, see, I I don't like him, but I think he's going to do bit, do really well. And I'm purely being a judgy person because the only reason I think I don't like him is he won a race last year and like punched in the front of his bike. That's right. He punched in the screen, didn't he? And I went, that was a bit of a dickhead thing to do, (laughs) but it probably means nothing, but that's purely where my judgment comes from. Yeah. Indeed. indeed. They they have the same manager. Yes. Uh, Acosta and, uh, and Masia. Masia. Yeah. And Acosta would be shaking Masia up because he would have started the season thinking he's, you know, he's doing pretty good. And all of a sudden this young kids outshining him, that's got to be messing with him. Yeah. Okay, guys, I think enough Moto3, please. (laughs) Okay. All right. All right. Starting to, to be too much. But but before we go, let me, let's go quickly to Moto2. Step it up to Moto2. All right. Fantastic. It's, Raul, it's, it's super all Raul. about Raul Fernandez. Seriously, I'm not going to talk I about Aaron Kinnett. I, I, those tattoos don't do it for I me. I love him. Raul. He's brilliant. Oh. If you don't One. mind, I'm just going to record this on my phone because it's going to be evidence <laughs> of Manuel speaking about Model 2. Speaking about seen... Model okay, 2. Okay, no, look at this. Look at no, this. Well, I tell us. Let me tell you something. Raul Fernandez will be next year in MotoGP. Oh, easy. There you go. Did oh, you, did you get I... that, Neil? You, you, you recorded that, Before right? Before Remy. If I yes, if I were uh, a, a manager, I would hire him tomorrow. Tomorrow. And Remy, Remy is is fast. It took five years for Remy to be where he is. Raul yeah, Fernandez still a baby. Three, three Manuel, races. I have been one two three against five on, years. Yeah, I've been fighting off people on social media all week. Because Wayne Gardner gave an interview this week. Oh, well, no, Wayne Gardner, he spoke. Wayne Gardner loves the sound of his own voice and he just speaks for hours. And he was talking about his son, about how he's guaranteed, inverted commas, a ride in MotoGP next year. And I'm looking at Ralph Fernandez and his performance versus Remy, and I'm going, that's effing bullshit. I think both will be in MotoGP next year. I hope both. so. I really hope, I hope so. Yeah. so. Raul, Raul, he is big physically, he is Commanding. strong. And look, I, uh, he has matured in the following way because we saw in Moto3 that he was always very fast by on one lap, right? But in races, he got lost. Mm. And I have been speaking with uh, people who are very mm. close to him. And the problem of Raul was that he faced every fight that appeared. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. Yep. Like I said, this guy is breaking late. I break later. This one is excellent. So when it came to race, he lost so much energy in facing. He wanted to be the tough guy of the yeah. town, you know? <laughs> Always so, fighting. Yeah. This made that in the race, he, he spent so much energy in nothing. Yeah. Right? In Moto3, uh, you have to be 
Sorry, Neil, to explain something in Moto3. <laughs> <laughs> I know that's... I want to know what you're on through Neil's else. head yeah. right no, now. In, like... in Moto3, you have to be smart and fast, intelligent and fast, because the group are so small. Mm. Acosta, for example, in Qatar, he was smart, intelligent to arrive at the group and win. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. In yeah. Moto2, the category, to race in this category is completely different. Mm. It's more important to be uh, fast than intelligent, right? And in my opinion, Raul is more is more fast than intelligent, and now it comes out, and mm. he has all, also matured. <laughs> if you have a look at the race again, what what surprises me is his riding position on the bike. He rides so in such a strange way. He, he sits on the bike in such a strange way that I like just to see him, how he sits on the bike. Yeah, is that incredible. his size? Or... It's a bit old school. I think he's, he's big, it's kind of a size, yeah. Yeah, no, but he sits, have a look at it because he sits different than the rest. But mm. obviously we are in front of a super talented rider. And again, he has the speed and Kate, uh, Red Bull and KTM have with him and with uh, Remy Gardner the perfect riders to substitute Petrucci and absolutely and easy. It's simple. Exactly. Isn't it? That's exactly right. Neil, you... what did you think of Remy Gardner's overtake on Joe Roberts? Oh, that was, nice. that was lovely. <laughs> Fair nice. bump. Play it on. was. Yeah. It, it was not. It wasn't over the line. It was just nice, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. And it's funny because I remember uh, it was a couple of years ago going to speak to Joe Roberts after his first World Championship Moto2 ride. It was in Brno and it had been wet. Um, And I think Joe like managed to finish like 10th or something. But on the last lap at the final corner of Brno, which is a fast corner, he said basically he was in a a kind of a duel with Remy and Remy just like edged him out to the side of the track with his elbow. Uh And Joe went onto the onto the dirt, had to like, you know, had to guide him. Right. Yeah, and I remember the first thing that Joe said was, "Moto two riders are fucking assholes." Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, was, I was thinking three back years to that, later, yeah, that moment in, yeah, in Portimao on Sunday. Yeah, I was uh, impressed with his reaction because I was expecting him to be pissed yeah, off, but he was just exactly. he he was yeah. yeah he took really a while. Good. Yeah, yeah. He he Remy had to well. do it. He had to go for it. Yeah, exactly. And it was a great ride from Remy. Like realistically, uh, another friend of the show. Uh, I know you watch Remy, so if you if you are you know when when you see this amazing ride, well done, and for all the Remy Gardner fans out there, it was a I think it was a mature ride from Remy. A lot of times he would have binned it um, on with you know with with this kind of ride, um, but he, he he rode a good race, ended up on the podium, and left it till the last lap. His dad would be proud on that one. All right, Manuel's ready for his siesta. He is. Yeah, we've started an hour late, so Manuel's really, really tired. So. He's exhausted from all this Moto2 and Moto3 talk. Oof, He's like, oh, freezing. Let's go. My brain is freezing when you talk about Moto3. Oh, my God. All right. That's why we talk about Moto2. Guys, thank you so much for an amazing wrap-up of, uh, of, the, of the week that was in MotoGP and then all the supporting classes. Neil, thank you so much for joining us, mate. Um, do you have any, any social media platforms or anything that you want to plug while, uh, while you're on the line? Oh, I mean, I'm kind of tempted to do a bit of a Jack Miller and uh, John McPhee and just, you know, bin it, basically. Oh, come <laughs> on, you love Twitter. <laughs> but yeah, um, I guess Twitter. You can follow me on Twitter. Um, yeah, Neil Morrison, 87. So the Remy you were Gardner born, fantasy. young man. 
No, it's uh, Brandon oh, Gardner. He's a, he's a Wayne oh, Gardner was, fan. Yeah. Oh, I was like, oh, that's the year he was oh. born. <laughs> Indeed. There we go. There's, there's the Gardner link. And uh, Andrew, before we go, have you got any final messages for our, uh, for our viewers and listeners? I do. I think I had messages, but I forgot to write them down from people. So I promise I'll do it next week. Mm, I've been chatting good. to the most beautiful, beautiful lady girl called Kamal. She's one of Yash's friends in India. Hi, Kamal. Yash's friend. I'm going to ask her if we can show before every race, she writes up the track, the times of the riders from the year before and all this really cool. So I said to her, you can help teach me. And she was like, oh my goodness, no. And it's incredible. And we've been having some nice long chats. She's in Mumbai as well. Nice. But yeah, we're on Twitter now. Jump on there. And as usual, Instagram on YouTube, if you're listening to us, you can see our beautiful faces and Neil's beautiful beard. And like and subscribe and share with your mates. I want to see Neil with his um moustache, like he said he was going to do next weekend. Is that right? It's distinguished oh, yeah, gentleman ca- like Sal- Salvador Dali moustache. Oh, a Dali moustache. <laughs> Are you up for the challenge, Neil? Possibly, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's the most non-committal response we've ever we had on the Casino so Report. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and Manuel, before we go, um, any exciting stories on uh, PacinoGP.com? I am writing a the story, the story, the story, the Marquez story. No, it's about Valentino and his retirement. Oh, yeah, that's the story. Yeah, we'll that's we'll. Story. Let's put with that capital letters, with capital yes. letters, you will see. Indeed, yeah. Well, we'll definitely dun, see dun, more about dun. that. And all right, dun. all right, beautiful. Neil, thanks a lot for being with us, Neil. Thanks, thanks for having me, guys. Thank Appreciate you, it. thank you, my friend. It's been absolutely wonderful. We hope to talk to you again soon. And for everybody out there, yeah, like, subscribe, hit the notification bell. Make sure you get all the episodes of the Piscina Report. There's tons of these from way back if you're just seeing it now. So go back and have a listen to the old episodes where I said Jerome Mir was going to win the world championship a year ago. <laughs> and... I'm going to go dig up where I started following Raul about 12 months ago and no That's one right. gave a shit. Yes, that's right. We can do that as well. And a couple, another couple of weeks, and we'll be back into the MotoGP. In the meantime, we'll see you all soon again, everybody. Adios, stay up, bro. Adios. 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 Adios.